Hello, this is Zovinar Derderian. Welcome to the Society for Armenian Studies podcast. I'm here with Professor Gerali Baridian uh, as part of our series on uh, reflections on Armenian studies uh, conversations. Uh, Professor Gerali Baridian was uh, the chair in modern Armenian history at the University of Michigan and director of the Armenian Studies program. Uh, he's currently retired and in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Hello, Professor Vitibaridian. Welcome. Hello, Zorina. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. I like this isolation. Yeah. I work more. <laughs> you work more? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that I used to go out much, but uh, uh, anyway. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, it's good to have you even at the distance, uh, and we'll be talking today uh, more about um, your uh, career and your experiences with Armenian Studies program. Uh, you've been engaged in and shaped Armenian studies through your scholarship on the 16th to the 19th century Armenian political thought and on contemporary politics in Ar of Armenia and the diaspora. You have taught and mentored undergraduate and graduate students at different universities, as well as uh, headed programs and institu institutions that I believe directly impacted the course of Armenian studies. Can you reflect on these three uh, different yet interconnected roles that you've had vis-a-vis uh, -vis Armenian studies? Uh, sure. I've, since retirement, I've had a lot of time to reflect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, but I think the simplest way to start is to uh, say, in case people have noticed, that I'm not a conventional scholar, I'm not a conventional historian, uh, I haven't had a conventional career, and that's um, uh, one way to start. That is, I was an avid reader of everything and anything I could get a hold of as, a, as an even uh, very young adult and especially of Armenian history. And uh, the interesting thing is that as soon as uh, I started reading, and then in school, uh, uh, when teachers taught us in middle school and high school, I remember very well, particularly in middle school, the history that we were taught, which incidentally was on the same model as most of what history is taught now in high schools, uh, I had too many questions, um, and uh, these were questions uh, that I asked in my mind and tried to answer, and uh, that has been my journey, to answer questions uh, that were there at that time, and uh, then others that evolved as I started finding answers to the first set of questions. So uh, that has been my uh, journey. Now, the... Uh, I'm curious as to uh, what triggered those questions in you as you were growing up. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to uh, delineate that kind of development. That is, um, why did I ask questions? For, let me ask, give you a, 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 an example. Mm -hmm. The uh, teachers would say, Haigagan Pasravantaga Anarik Perte. The Arkham Plateau is a is a, uh, an invincible fortress. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I, all of history is anyone who thought about Armenia came and conquered it, walked all over it, and some of them stayed. You know, this paradox, I could not understand. Mm -hmm. I could not understand when people, uh, teachers would say Armenians are very smart people, 
And then I look at history and we lost everything, almost everything we had over history. How come we, we are smart and the Turks are uh, Asian? Yeah. You know, how, how, these are the th- simple questions, but these are questions which I don't think most people uh, have answered, even if they have, uh, they have asked the question. And then other questions that derive from these, uh, there is the paradoxes and, and, I've realized that uh, this is what I want to find out. And so that explains my trying to get an education and see how do you find out questions, uh, answers to such questions. And then it also became clear very, as a very, at a very young age that I wanted, uh, uh, it was pleasant for me to share my questions and my journey with others. So mm-hmm. that gives us to teaching, right? Right. And then, uh, and then I also realized that I was never going to be able to find answers on my own. So mm-hmm. it had, there had to be a community of people who share these concerns and ask questions. And that's where I was involved in publishing, in establishing programs, in starting, for example, Zorian Institute. That mm-hmm. is to think together and to see if together we could, uh, we could go into, uh, uh, into finding answers, even if they're not final, if they're not fully satisfactory, but at least to start answering those questions. And the third and the fourth thing is that I also realized that uh, some of the answers were not in, in scholarship. They were not in books. Mm-hmm. They were in actual experience, political experience. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, uh, uh, political life, uh, yeah. which then ended up being diplomatic life, was very much part of searching. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, uh, so I ended up with uh, a political career as well. So yes. that's why I said it's not conventional. I left academia in 91, went to Armenia to work in seven years, right? Right. Uh, and came back. Uh, so uh, this is, uh, these are my reflections overall. Yeah. I have to ask you about uh, also your engagement with the Society for Armenian Studies, because I think uh, um, among the institutional roles that you've played, it's probably the least known. Yeah, yeah. the least known, yeah, because, it, well, it was in 75, 1975, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, Richard Ovanesian, my professor and advisor, uh, we were talking and said, we, we're starting this organization uh, because Nasser that used to do things, the National Association for Army Studies and Research, they're, they're not doing much. So we're starting the Society for Armenian Studies, and I don't want it, these are his exact words, to, to be stillborn. Uh, and, you know, we have to be active, and why don't you join us? And, you know, and then uh, I was, uh, I became the secretary of the council, Mm-hmm. Which included the the big big names, you know. Other than Richard, you had Avedis Sanjan, Nina Garsoyan, Robert Thompson, and um, possibly Dikran Kuyumjan. I mm-hmm. think Dikran was there too. So I was a junior guy. I didn't even have my PhD. I just finished my exams. And at UCLA, uh, so right at UCLA, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, for I think three years at least, maybe more, I was the secretary and. Mm-hmm. In that position, uh, I think uh, I was the one who put together the first panels in the Middle East Studies 
Association uh, annual meetings mm -hmm. and later for the American Historical Association. Uh, and I think we started also the Slavic uh, mm -hmm. Studies Society. So then I also tried to connect uh, people and that uh, started publishing the annual membership roster. Mm -hmm. And then annual bibliography of articles and books written by members and also a newsletter, the SAS newsletter. Yeah, so these were activities that uh, I directed. The other activity we did was the Journal of the Society, and Avedi Sanjan was its first editor. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Which are um, all still ongoing uh, projects yeah. of SAS. Yeah. Well, SAS doesn't have the annual... I don't think they have the newsletter. We have a I, newsletter. I think. We do? Yeah. yeah, good. Mm -hmm. good, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway... Um, I don't think that we have the annual bibliography, but there are so mm -hmm. many different ways of getting to those now that probably these are not needed. So, yeah. uh, uh, but I, I think the, the major uh, aspect of what I try to contribute to is to take the present as seriously as we take ancient times. Mm -hmm. This is very important. Um, and what so, do you mean by that? Do you mean study the present as much as the past? Or? The recent, mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, Armenian studies used to be ancient and some, sometimes medieval. Mm -hmm. But it's with uh, uh, Luis Nalbandian who does the revolutionary movement, Richard who does the Republic of Anesian. And mm -hmm. then we start looking at the, at the modern period. Right. Uh, very little on Soviet Armenia except Matosian. Uh, she had done one book, and it took a long time before we had anything else on Soviet Armenia. So there's, um, the contem by contemporary, uh, I mean anything that is um, uh, the modern period beginning with the revolutionary mm -hmm. uh, uh, society, organizations, and then genocide, then republic and diaspora and Soviet Armenia. And that's why when in 1982... Uh, we started the Zorian Institute. It was called uh, Institute for Contemporary Research and, you know, mm -hmm. documentation. So the contemporary and the main two concerns were going to be Soviet Armenia and the diaspora. Right. For genocide yeah. came in later. Yeah, we always uh, think of genocide as a central aspect of Armenian no, studies. It came yeah. later, but not at the time. Mm -hmm. That was not the intention. Right. Uh, and if you find the early brochure, it was a booklet, I mean, six, eight pages, a blue little publication. Uh, we don't, uh, the genocide is not there. Mm -hmm. The focus of right. the organization. But later on, we couldn't escape it. Yeah. And it, it, we went into genocide. So uh, that is to, to look into the present circumstances Mm -hmm. uh, seriously, as we look at uh, at the past, and uh, right. so, uh, and, and I think the main thing is that in Europe, in the United States, Armenian studies started as a response to the fact that first we were a refugee nation, and there was no dignity in our presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then no one else knew Armenians except as starving. So Armenian studies started as a response to that, to tell people that we're okay. 
we've had kings in the past. Right. So it was the past that was going to legitimize our presence, while our, you know, um, uh, our presence was known by other means in, around the world. Mm-hmm. So then we overcame that, and Armenian studies has moved. Uh, well, we can talk about that right. later. So well, you're is, getting yeah. get, you're getting into my next question actually, because uh, yeah. you're starting to talk about how the specific period of time. Um, when Armenian studies was developing, uh, the the situate the current situation, uh, s- sort of the history of Armenian studies and how each moment affected scholarship in that era. Yeah. So I'm wondering how um, the time period when you were a student, uh, the political events that were occur and social events that were occurring at the time, affected your own scholarship. Um, well, and uh, yeah. Yeah, the you know the first uh, I think it's important to mention that uh, while in middle school in Beirut, Sutnishanaska in Varjaram, we had a great teacher, uh, but it was very uh, conventional with uh, all the paradoxes, uh, and the guy couldn't get beyond the Berlin Conference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always start Baron Hagopian. He would yeah. never. It, it would end with the Berlin. He was fixated with the Berlin Conference, San Stefano and Berlin. Mm-hmm. And then in Gemaran, though, we, uh, we were lucky. It was a great school. Our teacher uh, was Yervan um, uh, Pambukian, a young man who, came, who studied in Belgium and came back. And his interpretations were much more interesting. Now, of mm-hmm. course, other than... Uh, and he, he looked at things... Uh, for example, uh, in his view, Vasak Sini was not a traitor. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, uh, there were more interesting people than uh, uh, the usual kings and whatever. But also, yeah. we had our, as our teacher and principal, Simon Gracia. Mm-hmm. Garo Sassuni was a teacher. And so uh, these were important. But, and so my interest in history. And then for world history, we had Krikor Shahinia, who was a very, very great teacher. Pambukian was the most boring, but, you know, highly intrig- uh, intriguing teacher. Mm-hmm. Of course, Tinian was a great teacher. <laughs> so uh, all of these uh, contributed to uh, develop my interest in history. And then uh, what impacted, I think, us most in our generation, at least some of us, here mm-hmm. and in Europe, were the uh, world events of 1960s, and mm-hmm. that included... Uh, the student revolts around the world that included mm-hmm. in the United States civil rights movement mm-hmm. and the anti-war movement. Right. And um, automatically I was drawn into these and mm-hmm. I uh, participated in the very early anti-Vietnam war demonstrations. Right. Uh, I was a main speaker at the last demonstration in Los Angeles in 1972 mm-hmm. uh, where a black Panther leader was speaking, mm-hmm. Bob Abernathy, Martin Luther King's successor was speaking, and I was between the two of them. <laughs> and uh, uh, But also the uh, civil rights movement, and uh, uh, the uh, uh, I was a member of the Black Students' Union, the only non-black to be a member at California mm-hmm. State. This was in last two years of college. So uh, participating in those was very important and opening up to Native American history. I studied mm-hmm. African history. Mm-hmm. Uh, all anything that 
had to do with injustice, inequality yeah. and oppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a matter of discussion at the time. Yeah. Um, so uh, this, for me, was much more important than uh, in uh, in uh, in case of others who may have had uh, more time to study theory. And uh, I think it's very important, but I didn't have that time. I was too busy studying. I was busy working at nights in factories to finance my schooling. Mm-hmm. You know, three years, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., I was working in a wire factory in Los Angeles. Yeah. And before that, in a restaurant. So, uh, and political activism, studying and uh, working, uh, I somehow ended up developing my own approaches. Mm-hmm. That is, I, um, not that I didn't read. I read mm-hmm. a lot. I continued reading as much as I could. And I had some great teachers in college mm-hmm. uh, for uh, uh, including on theory, political theory, etc. But uh, I don't think I got um, a decent education theoretical mm-hmm. uh, learning. Uh, so my uh, experience is not based on uh, theories. My theories come from experience, life, from my own, my own life, and my own readings and my own thinking process. Right. Uh, that's very interesting, and uh, it also, I guess, brings us into one of the most interesting. Uh, experiences that you might have had as serving for the um, government of the Third Republic of Armenia, uh, especially uh, in the position as senior advisor to the president. And I'm wondering how that experience in the government um, impacted your view of history and your own subsequent scholarship. Yeah, well, there's a a pre-question to that question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is how did being historian Right. Impact my work in government. But no one has asked that question. <laughs> and the question you're asking, you're the second person only. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why people don't ask uh, such questions. I, um, I have some theories as to why, but, uh, you know, if a friend of mine had done what I had done, I would have asked some questions. Anyway, the, uh, uh, well, to begin with, my engagement with Armenia was just an extension of my interest in politics and in contemporary issues. I started working there. I was there the last year of Soviet Armenia. It was still the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. I went there. Some people, most people think I went after independence. No, uh, yeah. I was very much part of the uh, strategizing for independence mm-hmm. and um so I started in January 91. Mm-hmm. Independence came at the end of the year. Right. Uh, so that was uh, one thing that's important. And uh, so, but I was there till the end of 97. So I think these were the most tumultuous years of the Republic with the war, uh, independence, war, changing of institutions, trying uh, uh, to bring democracy and etc. etc. A a liberal order to uh, and a market. Uh, so that uh, at that time, um, uh, I was I increasingly got involved in in diplomacy and had primary responsibility for relations with Turkey 
and shared and then primary responsibility on the negotiations on Garapan. Mm-hmm. So that also meant that I had to deal with Iran and Russia and uh, and also the president trusted me with a number of hot issues. So I, I saw how things are made, mm-hmm. how policy is made, how policy is implemented, right. what happens in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, in response to your question, uh, what I have to say is that after I seven years, I came back and after a couple of years started working at uh, Michigan. Now, and soon articles started appearing on issues that I had done. And particularly, mm-hmm. for example, Turkey-Armenia negotiations. Right. These are new negotiations. Uh, a lot of it is not written down. And uh, uh, from Armenia, I was the main person on the Turkish issue. Others came with me once in a while. But, uh, you know, the policy was developed by the president and I. And they were developed because of the movement, of course. And in Turkey, there were three, four, five people who, over the seven years that I was involved in, uh, they were involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, so many articles or chapters in books have appeared describing these negotiations mm-hmm. <laughs> without ever having seen any archives right. or literature, without ever having talked to the Turkish my counterparts or to me. Mm-hmm. Okay? So people started writing the history of Armenia-Turkey relations. <laughs> and I look at their sources. The sources are a newspaper account. Mm-hmm. And um, so... And archives are not yet available, right? What archives? You know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the negotiations were done. I have handwritten notes. Mm-hmm. I never had time to sit down and write reports. Right. It was mostly oral. Mm-hmm. There's some documents. Uh, those documents would be with the president's archives. <clears throat> and some of them I have copies. But in general, this is not where people have gotten their information. And some of these are serious historians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my reaction is, if this is history, who needs it? <laughs> You know, uh, and uh, second thing is, I when I tried to write history, I could no longer write it the way I used to. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I was less sure that what I was saying is correct, even if I was writing about things that I did on these right. issues in which I was intimately involved. I know that. Uh, there are things that uh, I was not aware of, even with the high offices I had. Mm-hmm. The last three years, I was uh, technically senior advisor, to, the senior advisor to the president, secretary of the National Security Council, and ambassador at large for the hot issues, including Turkey and Azerbaijan. Right. So, uh, I mean, that's a pretty high position. <laughs> yes. Uh, but... Even then, uh, I know, for example, that the president would have discussions with ministers, and I was not necessarily there. And he wouldn't necessarily tell me, you know, not to hide anything, but we were too busy to do whatever we were doing. And uh, then uh, also the things that ministers did, the logic they used, you know, it's um, 
a lot of people are sure, for example, as to uh, how Karekin Gatorgos of Giligia became Gatorgos of uh, Amenanayot. Yes. So which, <laughs> a lot of people think they know how uh, Robert, uh, Robert Kocharyan became prime minister. Mm-hmm. They all have theories, but they present it as... Now, Karekin, I know how it happened. Kocharyan, all, all, a lot of things I know, and I'm still not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that are critical, and I'm still not 100% sure as to why they happened. Although I have some knowledge, I see some possibilities, and even with the president, you know, you never know uh, what is behind the logic of the logic of the logic. So I'm less... Uh, secure and everything I've written since then, I've said I, I don't think this is history. It shouldn't be taken as history. It's a political argument because I have strong views on a number of issues, and uh, I'm uh, I trust less other historians, of course. Mm-hmm. Some I dismiss completely because I don't know what they're writing. Although they're writing about Armenia, but uh, you know. Uh, there's too much politics involved in a lot of our scholars. They, they allow themselves, uh, who write about Armenian politics and Armenia, they write as if um, uh, they, they don't have the same um, uh, self-censorship mm-hmm. that they do if they were writing about King Dertal. Right. The, the, the rules of scholarship, right? Checking, mm. double-checking, using all the possible sources, no, they, they decide that this is it. And I know that, uh, you know, uh, some of my friends have written such uh, books and uh, such articles, uh, right. you know, that, that, are not, that are not really uh, useful and they're harmful. Mm-hmm. Even, even uh, non-Armenian scholars have permitted articles and papers to be published on Armenia that they would not have allowed if it was on anything else. Right. As if Armenia is a cheap target. You know, you can make a name for yourself. Uh, So uh, it's... uh, And then there's always, of course, the huge anti-Derbedrosian propaganda that went on for many years. It still goes on in -hmm. Armenia after he resigned in uh, '98. Uh, so, uh, I, I'll tell you one thing that I have in my forthcoming book. Uh, I was at a very important uh, Ivy League university mm-hmm. a few years ago, and I was invited to do a public lecture and a seminar, which I did. And then in the evening, we're sitting with a professor, uh, non-Armenian, who knows Armenia quite well, mm-hmm. and in, over dinner, he said something like, well, of course, uh, Derbedrosian was the most corrupt man in Armenia. Mm-hmm. And he's a scholar. Uh, not a historian, but a scholar who knows Armenia. He has right. worked in Armenia. And I said, uh, how do you know that? Right? We're scholars. I need to know how you know. So uh, he, he said, uh, everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. And I said, if history is written by what everyone knows then, uh, you know, we really shouldn't write history. (laughs) Uh, History should be something else. And uh, 
I said, would you write that down? Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone and knows. Is, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, uh, this wasn't, I told him, this wasn't any difference from once I was in uh, Slovakia. Yeah, Slovakia. I was invited to do a lecture there at the university. And I looked for Armenians and I found some. And one lady and his daughter and son were, uh, had a shop, uh, a sweater shop. And we started talking, and the woman said, Oh, you are Libaditia. Oh, where is your castle? Oh. <laughs> Next to the Bedrosians in Paris? You know, and she was so sure. Now, from yeah. her, I wasn't surprised, but from a scholar who says, Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess so. I guess you would say that a important trait that a historian should gain is suspicion. Of course, yes. You have to be suspect from any source, mm-hmm. including Libaridia. <laughs> suspect. You have to say, why is he saying this, right? Uh, and there are other questions that should precede that. But who who is this person? What is the background? How should I accept? I get my, one of the main sources for me is the New York Times. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I have to know how to read the New York Times. Right. I can't take it as the truth. Absolute truth. They're the positions they take. I, if I know how to read it, then it is very useful. And so mm-hmm. you have to know how to, how to read the sources. And for that, you need some... Uh, very healthy skepticism. Right. So, I I want to segue into your involvement then with the uh, workshop of Armenian and Turkish uh, scholars and how your work in the uh, government of Armenia affected your role in the uh, uh, in Watts, uh, and maybe also if you can comment on how diplomats and scholars are different from each other or how it was I, I'm assuming that in the earlier years of Watts there was a lot of negotiation and arguments that were happening that are happening to a lesser extent now and what were the difficulties with conversing Scout. with scholars as opposed to yeah, diplomats well, uh, you know these are parallel mm-hmm. uh, they impact each other quite a bit uh, even if it's not in the same person that is um when I started negotiating with Turkey, and it was very made clear that we're not making a genocide recognition a precondition, mm-hmm. so there, there was quite a bit of attack, right? Yeah. Uh, I was called a traitor. Uh, I had death threats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the idea was uh, that you shouldn't talk to Turkey without. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's treason if you do. And of course, gradually, that changed. Yeah. Uh, but there are still people who insist on that. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, I was not present at the genesis of the Turkish-Armenian workshop. Mm-hmm. That right. was done at the University of Michigan when I didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, yeah. You know, Suni, Müge, Kevork, and others uh, who were there started. And the first attempt to do something was the University of Chicago uh, first session, first meeting. There, there was the same kind of issue. A lot of scholars who were invited Mm -hmm. uh, 
refused because they said, we do not know who are the Turks are and we don't want to sit down with Turkish scholars who don't want to recognize the genocide. Mm -hmm. The argument was, why would you sit down with those who recognize the genocide? Right. They recognized already. You need to work with the others if the ultimate value is recognition of the genocide. Mm -hmm. So uh, then only in practice it was possible to, you know, uh, the second meeting was at the University of Michigan, and many of those came. Mm -hmm. It became clear it's not the end of the world. Okay? You talk. Yeah. And, and um, I think there was also a, a question within the group once a new, uh, well, the group continued after Chicago with some new members mm -hmm. and others who had left in Michigan to see if we should continue. Right. I was already at Michigan. And there, there was a debate. There were three Armenian scholars and three Turkish scholars. Mm -hmm. It was a debate as to what would be the parameters, parameters of, of the discussion. And there was one or there were one or two, uh, I think one of the five who insisted that it should be a question of discussing the genocide and its recognition. Mm -hmm. And the rest of us didn't think so. We thought we should discuss the general historical environment uh, when the genocide happened, circumstances mm -hmm. preceding, immediately after, but that's what should be the focus. And that one member left the group. Mm -hmm. After that, uh, I was an integral part, and uh, both in, in uh, developing the themes, uh, determining the invitees, and but also I was uh, uh, in charge of uh, the logistics of it. Yeah. So, uh, including, you know, making sure uh, uh, arrangements are made for lodging and food and transport and money and so uh, and we did it for about I think nine years uh, mm -hmm. from 2001 uh, Chicago was 2000 then the second was 2002 and then uh, after I think eight or nine we decided that uh, well at least in my mind I, I thought the workshop had achieved its purpose mm -hmm. that there would be a new team if they are interested and maybe new formats, new approaches, and, uh, you know, I, I got out and technically I think Muge and Ron too, uh, although in some ways they tried to continue, the group did not, did not continue. Mm -hmm. There was a conference in 2015, but I guess it was a bit of a different format, uh, yeah. I think, and maybe later too. Um, but a lot of other groups started too. Right. And the field has developed in a very... Absolute. In, yeah. Has expanded tremendously. See, the good thing is mm -hmm. that um, a program is good if it achieves a purpose and disappears. Mm -hmm. And new generation takes it for granted. Yeah. Takes achievements and builds on those. Right? Mm -hmm. And this is what has happened to our field over the years. Um, I've always told the students, you know this, that if you guys are not better than we are, then we have failed, right? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think we have a new generation that is better than we are, uh, that, uh, and, but we also are 
uh, proud, I think I'm proud, that uh, we achieved some things and we mm-hmm. made it possible for the next generation to take those for granted and then build on it and go in whatever direction. Yeah. Well, man, yeah. yeah. Has become more multidisciplinary. We have mm-hmm. a bright new generation uh, that has brought in, uh, and and I think one important thing is that they, the new generation, has looked at Armenian history and studies and in a larger context than we did. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. our generation, often we isolated it right. from our, uh, the outside world. But Armenian history cannot be taught that way. Uh, we mm-hmm. uh, sometimes have looked at cultural influences, uh, but we've talked about influences. Uh, but right. we have been very much, we have given and taken, so we're integral to a much wider circle. And it's very difficult mm-hmm. to write mm-hmm. Armenian history, isolated, unless you're looking at something very isolated and very limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you're not aware of what's going around you, um, then, then uh, it's not likely to get to real to the bottom of things. Right. Uh, so, I guess yeah, that encompasses maybe the Western uh, Armenian studies world uh, of the way it has expanded uh, and 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 how s- and scholars have started engaging with different fields. But I also remember that uh, when you were at Michigan, you were very um, committed to engaging scholars from Armenia. And I know that you continue to, and after Michigan, you gave a few lectures in Armenia as sort of an informal class. Um, So I'm curious about what you think the state of Armenian studies is in Armenia and uh, why you find this exchange and engagement um, important and uh, the benefits of it for Armenia and also for the Western academia? Well, my, my view of uh, Soviet Armenian history and uh, post-Soviet independent Armenia uh, historian is somewhat different than others who kind of dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even history, which is a very vulnerable thing to write when you're Soviet, Soviet Armenian history pointed out things that we have not studied in Western Armenia. In, in Western academia. Agrarian society, yeah. mm-hmm. agrarian economy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of the Marxist view. Yeah. Even if that Marxist view is, was corrupted, mm-hmm. uh, still brought out aspects which we do not care about in Western Armenian historiography. Mm-hmm. And they do. Right. So, there is a lot of research there that could benefit us mm-hmm. as a first stage to to open up our history writing to the sensibilities of history itself. Yeah. That's it. The revolutionary movement, the fundamental thing was agrarian crisis. Mm-hmm. But how many of our historians look at that? It's We have nationalized history. And in Soviet Armenia, there is that use. Now, but I, still, Soviet Armenian history is... Uh, is uh, very vulnerable and it is uh, not the, the, the most useful in other ways. That's why after the collapse of the Soviet Union under independence, mm-hmm. it instead of Marxism, they went to nationalism, which right. is as bad. Yes. Right? So from one to the other, uh, very quickly, just as 
philosophers uh, were basically Marxist, professors of Marxism-Leninism, mm-hmm. suddenly became politologues, <laughs> political scientists. Mm-hmm. They changed the title. But they talked about the same thing. <laughs> and uh, they knew very little about really. Now, what I find about modern contemporary Armenian scholarship fascinating in Armenia is those in <coughs> sociology, literature, uh, art, that is the fields that were that are new in Armenia. Yeah. In Armenia, mm-hmm. <coughs> psychology is getting somewhere, and we have some very very bright uh, historians of literature, of culture. A few good historians now finally are coming up, mm-hmm. and the point is, uh, and these are of international standard. And the point is to recognize them because they in Armenia are not necessarily encouraged or supported by the establishment. Mm-hmm. The old guard is only now, after 30 years, is going away, and mm-hmm. the new ones are coming up. But there are, but the, the old guard that was the communist old guard, now the nationalist old guard, mm-hmm. is not allowing these very talented people to advance as much as they should to take leadership positions, to define their fields. Mm-hmm. So for me, supporting these was not only, first of all, recognizing the talents we have there, mm-hmm. but so making sure that they have some support, some recognition, first for themselves. They, they should realize that there are a few of us who really appreciate who they are and the kinds of minds they have. Mm-hmm. And then also to see if they could be supported otherwise. So for me, it's just... Uh, Another simple step just as to support the new generation here in any yeah. way you can, it's to support the new generation there. And if yeah. we don't do that, uh, you know, we will die. Mm-hmm. I don't think I will die. <laughs> I may pass away, you know, and be buried, but I, I think, uh, you know, uh, students I've had, uh, people who've come to my lectures, the support I've given is uh, more than I could have expected uh, many decades ago, and I'm glad I could do it. And I'm very proud. I'm uh, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Yeah, I I think you have to a lot of reason to be. <laughs> so I wanted to. Uh, I know though you haven't uh, completely retired from your work, your scholarship. So I wanted to end by asking you what you're working on these days. Oh, I'm working harder than. Uh, any time I've left uh, that I don't I'm not with my grandson I'm not taking care of him I, mm. I'm working mm-hmm. I'm working on a number of projects I'm trying to finish a book that I started many years ago on Garapa negotiations mm-hmm. uh, I've done about 60-70% of it I am uh, working slowly on my memoirs I am working on an essay, I don't know how long it will be, mm-hmm. on, uh, it's called My Turkish Problem. Uh-huh. Interesting. The evolution of my thoughts and disposition toward Turkey and the Turkish issue. Uh, but also, um, there's a very practical plan to publish five of my, uh, five volumes of my selected essays and interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Armenia, yeah. the first one this year, two 
more next year and two more in 2022. Uh, three of them in Armenian. So mm-hmm. most of uh, the articles there would be translated from English and two in English. Uh, about half of these would be articles that are not published. Mm-hmm. The uh, have published but lost, you know, uh, dispersed in different places. So the first volume that is almost next month it goes to the publisher is on Armenia-Turkey, Armenian-Turkish relations. Yeah. Historical genocide contemporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, as so the next year, next year it will be on the Third Republic, and, and then uh, and one English volume that will combine the two, and then to 2022 it will be basically historical essays, that mm-hmm. is, uh, including one on uh, that will be called Madorumner, thoughts on Armenian history in general on how we write it, how we look at it, what are the issues that we should look at. Mm-hmm. Just some thoughts after 50 years of uh, asking questions, maybe uh, saying why questions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. I know that many of your questions that you've raised in your writings have influenced me and many other peers of mine. Yeah. So we will yeah. be looking forward to that. And hopefully we'll have podcasts on your new books as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yes, uh, you wanted to say something. Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things I've learned is uh, you have to ask the right questions. If you have the wrong questions, there's no absolutely no way you could get the right answer. Right. There's no right answer to the wrong questions. But if you have the right question, even the wrong answer may be useful in exploring other possibilities. Yes. So the key is the right questions. So we'll have to continue working on that. Okay. (laughs) Thank you very much for being with us. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.